Tell them we need more ketchup. We're out of ketchup again. I swear, we go through it like crack. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today I'm chatting with human performance consultant, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of 17 books, Ben Greenfield, as he takes us through the future of health and biohacking. Ben's been a longtime friend of mine, Mark's, and the brand. Um, he's been integral to us in our early days of launching the mayonnaise. We're excited to hear him talk about the emerging science of health optimization and longevity. Um, and even a little bit on parenting. He has a new book out that I'm super excited to read. Um, so let's get into it real quick. A brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello, Ben. Yo. Yo, What's up, Morgan? It's so great to have you. Um, yeah, ben, well, you know, anytime I have an excuse to talk about mayonnaise, I'll take it. I know, Ben. I just like, so I, when we started Primal Kitchen, I was the one who started our Instagram account and managed all of our, you know, what are now known as influencers, but that wasn't really a word on anybody's LinkedIn profile in 2015. And I just uh -huh. love that you are still such a diehard Primal fan that you still email me personally and say like, hey, I'm out of catch up. <laughs> you gotta help me out. So... I, I go through so much freaking ketchup and mustard. I told you just before we started recording, I told my, my sons last night, you know, during our family dinner that I was going to be talking with somebody from Primal Ketchup. Like, Dad, tell them we need more ketchup. We're out of ketchup again. I swear, <laughs> we great. go through it like crack. It's great. Um, so the audience who doesn't know much about you, how did you get into this whole health and wellness, biohacking, parenting, lifestyle design thing? Was this like, would you say early influence from your like athletic pursuits or how'd you get here probably early influence from my athletic pursuits like you said like i just i you know i i grew up homeschooled in north idaho you know roaming the hills back behind my house and loving the outdoors you know like like my own sons now i, I was probably outside like you know five six hours a day and didn't really get bitten by the sports bug until i realized it was a good way to get girls to notice you and so then i started playing a lot of sports and one sport in particular I really got like super into is tennis. And so I started like running up and down the hills behind my house. And I got like a little set of 10 pound dumbbells from the sports warehouse. I didn't know how to use them. I just like lay on my bed on my stomach and do curls. And I figured that was a good way to, to, to get some guns for hitting the tennis ball. And uh, I, I met a couple of people along the way, like this guy who was like the Washington State powerlifting champ and another guy who was like a professional bodybuilder. And these guys taught me a bunch of stuff. And long story short is I went from being like a violin playing, like president of the chess club, fantasy fiction uh, enthusiast who basically planned on being a computer programmer and designing video games to like full on like human culture, physical culture, science, biomechanics, physiology, nutrition. And I studied that all through college and, you know, played a ton of sports in college. Kind of sort of started to take the medical school route. I actually got accepted to a bunch of medical schools and um, wound up uh, basically getting a master's degree in biomechanics and exercise physiology, not going to medical school and jumping back into like the, uh, the whole fitness world, you know, working as a nutritionist and a personal trainer at a few gyms that I managed. And then um, basically what happened is I partnered up with some local physicians in the community because I still loved medicine and science. And this was way back before we had all these like biohacking facilities with cryotherapy chambers and, you know, PMF and red light and, you know, and hyperbaric. But 
basically I was the director of sports performance at a facility where we had, this was, was 2005, like we were doing like PRP and high speed video camera analysis and uh, calorimetry analysis and like all this stuff that back in that time was considered to be like super scientific and cutting edge. Cause that's what I liked. I like positioned myself as kind of like the personal trainer and nutritionist who you went to and nothing else was working. And so I was just geeked out on marrying science to like human um, physiology and, and fitness way back in the day. And then, you know, that's just been a slow snowball since then. You know, I started a podcast. I started writing books. You know, I started a newsletter. I started speaking at conferences and eventually kind of like got out of brick and mortar gyms and studios and got more into a lot of what I do now, which is like content production and, you know, a little bit of investing in health and fitness companies and, you know, doing a lot of, um, you know, like video and online courses and classes and stuff like that. And honestly, like the main reason I started doing that was just because I wanted to be a stay at home dad. And so, you know, I can work at home in my underwear doing what I do. Now, I, I am wearing pants right now, by the way, because I'm out on a walk. <laughs> I, I like to walk in the hills behind my house. But, uh, but you know, besides when I'm out on a walk, you know, yeah, I, I sit at home with my boxers and, and make content. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's like long story short where I came to where I am now. But it's kind of weird because I was always like growing up like hyper intellectual, you know, like not to like to my own horn or whatever, but I was like 99.9 percentile and all the standardized tests and just like a standout student. And so I've always been like hyper intellectual and love to learn. And that's still kind of sort of what I do. I just spend like most of the day learning and absorbing information, then turning around and figuring out ways to teach that to people, which I love to do. Like I'll do that till the day I die. And granted, I've found along the way that fitness and nutrition and physical culture in general is pretty unfulfilling. Like once you've actually got the six pack abs and done the Ironman and done the marathons and, you know, and, and checked all the boxes of being like a physical specimen and getting all that figured out, like you could biohack to the end of the day and hyperbaric chambers and red light therapy and, you know, PMF and all that stuff, but it's not that fulfilling. And that's like kind of been my journey over the past seven years or so, getting a lot more into the spiritual side of things, family, relationships, parenting, connection to God, you know, meditation, breath work, a lot of this stuff that um, I think, you know, more people could benefit from doing. And so a lot of my books now, you know, they're more on the spiritual side or the religious side, or, you know, the latest one is on parenting and family. And I'm, I'm feeling myself drawn more and more to that kind of stuff. I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old, but, uh, yeah, I still love physical fitness. You know, I still love sports. I'm still, uh, right now I'm training to, to play my first pickleball tournament, if you consider that a sport, but no, I, I love it. I think, my husband um, plays pickle. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. But anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm a lot more into like the spiritual training side of things now. I would say. And I think that's just like incredibly fulfilling. Yeah. So interesting. Um, do you feel like you just kind of maxed out like you've your body like you're you're at it would take like I mean, how could you really push it further? So you're on to the next challenge of figuring out. I mean, well, I was I was never like the, the pro pro Ironman athlete or, you know, I didn't I didn't really win that many races. But, you know, I I had a decent ranking. I, I got ranked really high, like top 10 in the world in, in Spartan racing and, you know, did all the Ironman triathlons and, you know, you know, people like outside magazine would call me like, you know, the, the fittest man in the world and their, in the magazine spread, you know, I, I had all those like accolades and, 
yeah, I feel like I climbed that mountain and got to the top of it or close to the top of it and then realized, oh, hey, this is like, there's not a whole lot up here besides just like people crushing their bodies and, you know, uh, you know, uh, 60 year old women trying to look like they did when they were 18, their bikinis on the beach and not embracing that next step in life that, that might be a little bit more meaningful. Not, not, not to insult any, like there's a lot of hot, yeah. hot 60 year old women out there, like kudos, more power to you. But you know, it's, it's just like kind of unfulfilling. And I realize, oh, there's a lot more to life than just working out, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay. Before we get into the more there is to life, I want to know just like through all your trials and tribulations of fitness and being a physical specimen, like what do you think the top five most important things are for folks listening? Oh. We're still maybe on that phase one of the journey. Yeah. They're still on the physical phase of the journey. Yeah. Well, I, I think really, like when you read, I don't know, Women's Health Magazine or Men's Health Magazine or a lot of popular fitness literature or media out there, it's really positioning the idea that to be healthy and to live a long time, you got to work out and follow the right diet. And that's like really, you know, one tenth of the equation. And you've got a whole bunch of people who are engaged in physical culture and fitness who are still walking around with brain fog and poor sleep and poor libido and, uh, uh, you know, poor recovery and sore joints and frequent injuries and out of control appetite because, frankly, the modern fitness media world doesn't know anything about or doesn't teach the stuff that truly optimizes the human body, namely the things that charge up the human battery and the mitochondria. And what I mean by that would be uh, light, magnetism, oxygen, um, uh, minerals, uh, water, heat, and cold. Like those would be a few biggies. So like I'll, I'll take somebody who's, who's exercising a lot and still having a lot of problems or can't lose weight or can't get the performance they want and who's also eating well. And I'll introduce things like, you know, red light therapy, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy and grounding and earthing, um, breath work, usually in like a hot setting, like an infrared sauna, frequent cold soaks, uh, some element of meditation, and then like lots of minerals and good, clean, pure water. And, uh, you know, a lot of earthing and grounding and all these aspects that basically cause the cell to maintain this necessary negative charge on the inside of the cell that cause the mitochondria to proliferate that allow for, for cellular autophagy to occur and proper cellular turnover to occur. And all of a sudden they start sleeping well and they start recovering and they get better benefits from shorter workouts and the, the diet's easier to follow. And so I think a big part of it is all these variables that almost in a way kind of mimic what our ancestors would have done, but you know, incorporating even things like biohacking technologies to accelerate that process. Like, I think that's where a lot of the magic lies. So, you know, so to, to more precisely answer your question, it'd be um, frequent use of red light therapy and sunlight therapy. It would be frequent use of heat therapy, preferably like infrared or dry sauna, uh, frequent use of cold soaks, cold showers, and cold thermogenesis in general, um, use of pulsed electromagnetic field mats or grounding and earthing technologies, and then like water that's hydrogen enriched, uh, mineral enriched, deuterium depleted, structured, and frequent use of minerals 
and you throw a lot of that stuff in and all of a sudden the body's battery gets charged and you feel really good. It's just that a lot of people, um, yeah, they just work out and they eat healthy and they kind of ignore some of those components that are very, very important for keeping the body's battery charged. Interesting. Hey, have you ever heard of spring aqua? What filter are you using? Where's where's this good water coming from? Because I just put in like a hydrogen. It's just under yeah. my sink, but it's like it's structured. It's hydrogen. It's not reverse osmosis. Okay. But yeah. I'm curious. Have you heard of the spring aqua? Which one are you using? No, I haven't heard of spring aqua. So the main things you want to pay attention to are testing of the water. First of all, a lot of people just assume the same filter is going to apply to all water, but whether you're on well water or municipal water or some other form of water, testing the water is really important. And there, you know, you could just Google the name of your city water testing and get a water (laughs) test. And then from there, uh, typically you'll want filtration. That's either reverse osmosis or double carbon block to, and either of those will get rid of most impurities, but then you've still got like dead, dead water after that process. So ideally, you're structuring the water either through a central home structuring uh, unit or like pour-through filtration, or they even sell like sticks. Like there's one company called Analima that will sell like a stick that will help to structure the water. And then you want to remineralize the water. And uh, that would be like the addition of really, really good clean minerals like Protect or Element, or even though it's more expensive, I think top of the totem pole would be something like Quinton, which is like a, a mineral yeah. derived from from ocean plasma um, or ocean uh, phytoplankton. And then the 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 final component that you want to think about is deuterium, just because uh, these heavy isotopes of deuterium are pretty common in water these days and plants due to herbicide and pesticide exposure. And it kind of gums up some of the mitochondrial machinery. And so you can actually add deuterium depleted water to your already filtered water. And for, for that, I recommend people actually get a deuterium test. If your deuterium levels are high, go through a few months of consuming deuterium depleted water. And then if you're doing a good job restricting exposure to heavy amounts of glyphosate, herbicides, pesticides, starches and sugars, then your body will naturally become deuterium depleted over time. But in a nutshell, you want hydrogen enriched, mineral enriched, well filtered, preferably deuterium depleted water that's been structured. And that's as close as you can get to good natural spring water as possible. Now I'm spoiled because my dad's been in the water filtration industry for like a decade. He started off as like a gourmet coffee roaster and espresso machine repairman who realized that the flavor of the coffee, besides the quality of the bean, was dictated by the quality of the water. And so he actually got out of the coffee business, and now all he does is import materials from all over the world. You know, like uh, Israel's one of the top places because Tel Aviv and Israel, because of their, their water conservation technologies, have access to some of the best filtration methods in the world. And so my dad has a whole warehouse where he just like imports water filters, uh, outfits them with like structured water capabilities, reverse osmosis. Um, and, and so I get, I get his stuff. Uh, that's what most of my clients use too. It's just called greenfield water. And so I realized that, that I'm probably biased, but that's, I use my dad's filter systems cause I just think oh, I they're, they're like the best. Yeah. So cool. I had no idea. So I just like transition because it's so interesting. So what, your dad, like growing up, you were, were, were your parents just like hippies and you had like this epic outdoor kind of no. primal wild oh, childhood? No, I was like, no. on, I was on antibiotics all the time. We ate pe- no pe- pizza and hamburgers most nights. Um, I didn't know anything about exercise besides just like hiking and be outside. But the blessing that we did have was 
um, we were homeschooled and we lived kind of out in the countryside. So I was able to just like finish my school by like 10 or 11 AM. And I just like go outside and play the rest of the day with my friends yeah. outside. Uh, cause we didn't, I, my parents were very like strict Christian conservative. So we didn't have like video games and movies and comic books. Uh, just like, I, there wasn't a lot for me to do inside. It was kind of boring. It was just like, you know, not that I have anything against it, but it was just mostly like, you know, Bibles and, you know, and, and, <laughs> and a few dull books. And so I spent a lot of time just outside playing and, uh, but no, yeah. my parents were not healthy hippies at all. Like they don't know or didn't know anything about like supplementation or a healthy diet or, or anything. I, but you know, I did get to spend a ton of time outside and wound up learning a lot of the nutrition stuff later on down the road as I studied it for like fitness and sports and things like that. Fascinating. Did you ever think about putting your kids in school or were you always going to homeschool? Oh yeah. My kids went to, I kind of swallowed the myth that if you like spend a lot of money and put your kids in a good private school, everything's going to be good. And I realized in fifth grade that, um, even though they went to one of the best private schools in town, they're pretty much just like public school overloaded with unnecessary homework and rote test taking and an outdated educational model that was really built around like memorization and putting square pegs and square holes and round pegs and round holes and learning at the same pace as the rest of the classroom and not necessarily learning uh, what your the topics that your passions and your interests and your desires lay in. And, you know, research shows it's right around the time a kid's 13 that everything from peer pressure to bullying to excessive homework to studying subjects they really don't care much about kind of begins to suck a lot of the social enjoyment out of school and a lot of the benefit out of school. And so I, I kind of really saw the light when they were in fifth grade, you know, even though at that time I'd already had the habit of teaching them all the stuff I didn't know, or I knew they weren't getting at school when they got home, like meditation and breath work and spiritual disciplines and, you know, how to swing a kettlebell. I would teach them a lot of that when they got home from school, but the academic route that they were on, they, it was, it wasn't stuff they were passionate about. It was you know, again, rote memorization and test taking and loads of homework they didn't care about. And so I took him out to dinner one night uh, in fifth grade. I said, look, um, you guys don't need to go to sixth grade. Like if you tell me all your passions, all your interests, all your desires, we'll meet on a regular basis over dinner. I'll make sure you're surrounded by as many games and activities and tutors and and everything that you need to fulfill your passions and your desires and your interests. And all you guys got to do is just wake up in the morning and do whatever it is that you want to do that allows you to learn the things that you want to learn to be fully self-actualized. And granted, I also explained to them that there are certain things that you might not be passionate about that are going to serve you later on in life, like algebra or rhetoric or, you know, logic or programming or things like that. And so, you know, I still make sure that they're learning some of the core subjects that I think they might not even know are going to be really beneficial for them later on in life. But basically, they spent about two weeks thinking about it. Their main concern was that they wouldn't see their friends as much, um, which didn't wind up being the case. You know, and so we we uh, we pulled them out of school in sixth grade and started unschooling them. And so we've got a couple of educational coordinators who help out with like driving them around to local activities in the community, you know, jujitsu and tennis and speech meets and things like that. And then, you know, they spend a lot of time at home. They spend a lot of time doing like 
nature awareness courses. They're very into art. Um, their, their interests fluctuate from, you know, month to month, but essentially they're unschooled. And that was after they'd been going to private school up until fifth grade. Wow. And how many years have you been unschooling? Couple now, right? Oh, let's see. Oh, f uh, four and a half years now. Nice. And what do you notice any difference in the kids? Oh my gosh. Like they just love life. Like they are so happy. They're, like they wake up and they do, granted, they still have certain things that push them academically, like math or language learning, um, or, uh, you know, or logic and programming and certain things that they wouldn't necessarily choose as their top things to do when they wake up in the morning. Like if they, if they, were to awake in the morning and do exactly what they want to do. They'd basically just be doing like probably art, jujitsu, tennis. They love to write. They're both working on a book right now and, um, and be with their friends. But yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool process to see them just fully self-actualized and loving life and loving what they do each day. And we do a lot together. Like right now we are designing a game together, like designing a card game together um, as like a father son activity. And all three of us are working on a book and, uh, we do a lot of travel together, which also incorporates things like language learning and cooking. They have a cooking podcast. So, you know, twice a month, they put out a big episode where they're interview a chef or do a restaurant review or cook a new meal or new cuisine. And so they have a whole YouTube video and uh, account and, you know, social media accounts and a website devoted to a cooking podcast and a food podcast. And so, so yeah, they're, they're loving life. It's, it's amazing. I love it. And then I feel like a big concern for people who are like thinking about that lifestyle is just socialization. So what does that look like for your family and for the boys? Like you kind yeah. of mentioned that it didn't turn out to be the case that they were missing their friends. Yeah. Well, they're involved in so many extracurriculars, everything from uh, cooking classes in the local community to jujitsu, to tennis, to, you know, sometimes pickleball with dad, to a speech and debate. Um, to, uh, you know, local outings, to, to museums and trampoline parks. And, you know, there's always in most communities some kind of like a homeschooling co-op. And even though they're not homeschooled per se, because homeschooling is kind of like using a set curriculum and, you know, kind of simulating what someone would do at normal school, but sitting around with mom and dad at the kitchen table, you know, their, their education is a lot more experiential. Yet there's a lot of avenues in the homeschooling community locally that they can engage with as well. And, yeah, I mean, like they're... And then they've got like church and youth group as well. So they're around peers nearly every day. And then they also go to like a wilderness survival school in the summers. And that same school has camps throughout the year. And so they, they do a lot of camps, you know, every summer they, they got camps almost every week and every weekend where they're learning new things and around a bunch of their peers. So no, they're, they're not little, you know, barefoot hippie, socially awkward, you know, stay at home Unabomber kids or anything like that. <laughs> No, I wouldn't imagine they are. I, I was not envisioning that, but thank you for the, <laughs> for the visual. Um, okay, so you mentioned church and stuff. So I, let's transfer into the philosophical stuff going on in your life. Because I, I, it's interesting. I noticed because you were like kind of an OG paleo person, if you will, and that movement's evolved to keto. I feel like now it's carnivore, but there was like a period of time where there's some influencers in this space that were like promoting like, I don't know, open marriages and all sorts of other different things. And I remember being really impressed. You like leaned in on the sanctity of marriage and family and commitment. So just talk to me a little bit about how like that philosophy 
has kind of come together for you and what like what your relationship with religion looks like and all of yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I, I come from a pretty conservative Christian Protestant background and have always loved God and the Bible and this idea of absolute morality and following the Ten Commandments and, you know, being a part of a church and local community outreach and charity and tithing and, you know, all these things that would be, you know, kind of like associated with Ned Flanders from The Simpsons or whatever. And yet at the same time, I kind of got immersed in what would be considered a very carnal, fleshly career, you know, based on, you know, everything from, you know, fitness and, you know, pride in the body and a focus on nutrition, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that wouldn't necessarily be associated with Christianity, you know, where people are still having Doritos and, you know, marshmallow salads at the church potluck, right? And so, um, you know, when, when the, when the paleo movement kind of went the direction of like everything from polygamy to plant medicine, you know, open relationships and, and, you know, just basically, um, I would say almost like a kind of like a new agey approach. I didn't really go that direction. I kind of maintained a lot of my foundational principles of Christianity. And, you know, I like life for me is just, it's, it's so magical and beautiful. You know, I wake up in the morning and I start off with like breath work in the sauna and prayer and talking to God and reading my Bible and listening to a reading, a devotional later on in the morning, the whole family gathers for meditation and Bible reading and prayer on the living room floor. And we'll usually sing a song together. We're, you know, praying and expressing gratitude before every meal. We're serving in the local community. We're throwing dinner parties for all of our friends. Our house is kind of like the Island of Misfit Toys where folks know that everybody is welcome. You know, I'm super dedicated to my wife and our relationship and building a legacy, a firm legacy that will go on for, you know, generations to come after us rather than, you know, kind of like choosing new partners or having an open relationship. And, um, you know, and, and we have like story times and songs and more meditation and prayer before bed. And, you know, I, I feel as though, you know, I'm, I'm just connected to God in a way that is very meaningful and also um, really allows me to, to have that, that strong sense of absolute morality and a knowledge of right and wrong and a knowledge of truth that I think is so often neglected these days because people are carving out their own path and speaking their own truth, bro. And, and, you know, this idea of absolute morality is almost like offensive that there are certain rights and wrongs in the world that we have to acknowledge, you know, and, and when that's absent, we almost get into this idea where people get to choose what's right or wrong so as not to offend anybody else. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's a slippery slope to say, well, you know, whatever, you know, almost if you go back to like, I don't know, like Nazi Germany, right? It was like the, the epitome of this where, you know, you get, you get to choose who lives and who dies or who's right and who's wrong or who's a cast out of society and who's not. And, you know, I, I've, I feel like the Christian worldview and a nation that's built upon the Ten Commandments and the idea of absolute morality and right and wrong has kept America from going that direction. And I certainly want to be somebody who, who helps to keep those foundation principles in place, you know? Yeah. I love it. What do you, what do you think your secrets are for a happy marriage? Uh, so that's a good question. Um, my, my wife and I, we go on quarterly retreats where 
we'll just lock ourselves away for two or three days and plan out everything from our 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 son's schooling to our plans for where we're going to live to how things are going in our own relationship to just to like have those deep periods of connection so we have those touch points every quarter um we have family dinners every single night well i would say every, like six out of seven nights of the week we've got wonderful glorious family dinners where we're all together playing games sometimes with guests in our home but you know we're and and my wife and i are kind of like the the bastions of the community in terms of, of throwing dinners like that and having people over and having family dinners which i think is really really helpful i think our our morning meditations and evening meditations as a family those are are really beneficial we schedule out weekly date nights uh, where just the two of us go out and we also have uh, monthly one-on-one date nights with each of our children, which is also really, really helpful for, for getting the kids off on their own and hearing a little bit more about their hopes and dreams and desires without their, their siblings around. And, and being able to connect one-on-one, I think, is really important. And then it sounds silly, but I think one of the key aspects of a relationship that's so simple yet so beautiful and has really brought us close together is every night, the last thing we do before we go to bed is we pray. Like as our heads hit the pillow, we're just basically laying together in an embrace, praying and, you know, laying out our hopes and dreams and desires and temptations and failures and struggles before God. And I tell you what, it's really difficult to like have some kind of argument or friction between you and your spouse and still be able to go into that sacred spiritual place together and pray. And so it's almost like we know at the end of the day, everything needs to be right between the two of us because we're going to be like in this holy place praying. And it almost like the few times that we've had where we've, we have an unresolved argument or a conflict between us or somebody's mad at each other about something. Um, it's almost like the prayer seems fake or inauthentic, or you almost like are really reticent to do it. And so it's this built in mechanism, this nightly prayer between the two of us that pretty much ensures that by the end of the day, anything that did go wrong, has been kind of like set right between the two of us. So there's this Bible verse that says, never let the sun go down on your anger. And I think that's really sage advice. Basically, my wife and I never have a have the sun go down or never go to sleep with something between us. And I think that that nightly prayer helps out quite a bit. So those are a few of the things that we do. I love it. We do weekly date nights too. I mean, our kids are a lot younger than yours, but it's super helpful to just have it. Oh yeah. Otherwise, like sometimes life just gets sweeps you away. Oh yeah. And I mean, yeah, a lot of times you, you know, you're like shifts passing in the night and you don't wind up having those deep discussions about things that you're struggling with or things that you want to talk to your spouse about that might be bugging you about them or, or whatever. And so, yeah, we have our, our weekly date nights, but a lot of times, like, we're going in with a few things written down that we actually want to talk about, you know, almost like a meeting, which sounds like unromantic or whatever. But, you know, once all that's done and we've, you know, had a glass of wine and a cocktail and, you know, by halfway home, we're making out at stoplights, you know, and, but, but yeah, I mean, sometimes the first <laughs> part of the date's almost like a business meeting, but it's super helpful to, to keep you on the same page. Yeah. For sure. Um, I have some random, just like random questions for you. Have you been like following this Ozempic? I don't, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Have you been following this? Have you done any research on any of these? Like they're GLP antagonist medications. This oh, you like mean like some some glutide and, and some of the, yeah. 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 Like, and the, what do you think about all these? I mean, like, I, so I've been a fan of blood glucose disposal agents for a long time. Like the use of of everything from like vinegar, apple cider vinegar, Ceylon cinnamon, uh, berberine, bitters, bitter melon extract, et cetera. 
I've been a fan of of incorporating those, particularly before starch or alcohol-rich meals, for a, a long time to to increase insulin sensitivity and decrease the blood glucose response to a meal. But this this kind of like new surge of pharmaceutical agents or peptides or something like semaglutide to uh, to, to really decrease the blood glucose response to a meal or even cause a shift in the, the incretin hormones that basically make you not want to eat or make you even like nauseous in response to foods that you would normally enjoy. It's, they don't have besides the nausea um, and occasionally a little bit of gastric upset, many side effects, and they can actually be incredibly helpful for people who have difficulty controlling their calorie intake or have difficulty uh, with, with certain food cravings. And I've seen people have a great deal of success using not just blood glucose disposal agents, but this newer surge of like GLP agonists. And so like, I haven't seen like years and years of long-term human safety data behind them, but I mean, like, you know, I have one friend right now who's taking it and we'll go out to eat and go out to dinner and he'll just like, have like a salad and like, and this is normally a guy who's like ordering all the steak and all the eggs and all the things and the bread and the butter. And like, he doesn't even want that stuff. He actually can't like he'll throw up if he has it. Cause he's using some glutide. So yeah, I mean, they, they can be pretty powerful. I I'm personally like, I love to exercise. Um, I'm lean naturally. I'm a foodie and I love to eat. So for me, it'd be like torture to have to take something that would make me nauseous in response to eating. Uh, yeah, but totally. man, if if you if you got to lose weight, that could be super helpful. Yeah, I swear, like I whatever company is making this Ozempic drug, like we should all be buying shares right now because I feel like everyone is trying yeah. to get this prescription. It's fascinating, but I agree. It's interesting. Maybe you'll have a take on this. I have a friend who's doing Ozempic too, and she's like, I feel kind of guilty. You know, there's like this guilt about like, but she's someone who's by no yeah. means overweight, but has struggled to lose weight for, she can't budge the scale yeah. for what she does. Like if she ate, you know, nothing, she wouldn't be able yeah. to lose weight. And I'm, I, I feel like, man, life's short. Like if you're really struggling or you're obese, like we shouldn't be judging people if there's something available. Yeah. I mean, whatever anybody wants to do, but it's an interesting yeah. time. I think, I think like my, my take on that, and this might be kind of controversial or even like possibly offensive, but there, there's a very small subset of the population who really is resistant to weight loss and who really does have either a blood glucose response or a hormonal response to a meal that dictates that they're just going to conserve calories no matter what. And they could use a little bit of help from science or pharmaceuticals to be able to control that. Yeah. Um, and th this could apply to many other aspects of life. Like there's some people who they're just like wired up from a neurotransmitter standpoint, no matter what, to need to like freeze their credit cards and delete social media apps from their phone and do all the things to ensure that they just don't have anything around them that's going to result in them being tempted by a weakness because they just know that the willpower isn't there. Um, and, and I think that in a case like that, yeah, the special lock boxes that lock up your credit cards and the special apps that keep you from being able to access social media or the special browser functions that only allow you to ever visit one website, like those can be pretty good tools. I'm one of those guys who basically says or thinks that for most people, it's better to just, and again, this might be offensive for some people, but basically have self-control and quit being a little bitch and 
basically just buckle down, like get in the cold shower, do the work, have the blood, sweat, and tears. You know, if, if you're tempted and, and you're out and you want to buy something like, uh, let's say an expensive jacket and you have no self-control and you got to whip out your credit card and buy it, then just don't take out your credit card. Just shut up and walk away. Like that's, that's my mentality with, with a lot of this stuff. But, but again, like there's a certain subset of the population that just needs that extra help. But I think at the end of the day, it's for most people, more character building and, um, uh, and, and displays a better amount of self-control to just be able to resist this stuff on your own. But I, and I know that's difficult and it's not the most popular opinion, No, no, but, I hear you, you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of mm. same thing with like cold showers. Uh, you know, some people like do their 20 minutes of breath work and get all amped up and take all the supplements that allow them to like get in the cold shower, cold bath. And you know, one of those guys who just says, dude, just shut up and get in the bath. Yeah. I like hate yeah. the cold, man. I like really struggle with the cold tub thing. Tell me this. How come the hot tub can't provide the same benefits uh, as the sauna? I just like love you know a hot what? tub. Uh, it's hot so water unfair. immersion actually can result in a lot of the same benefits as a sauna. Um, it's kind of interesting because it's paradoxical. Cold water immersion is better than cryotherapy because of the hydrostatic pressure of the water against the skin and the decrease in core temperature that's greater than doing a cryotherapy session. But then it flip-flops for heat. Like sauna and dry air seems to cause a sweating and a vasodilatory sensation that allows for better heat acclimation than say like a hot tub. You just can't get the hot tub hot enough without burning the skin to be able to get the same response as you would get from hot air. Uh, But you can get a lot of benefits in terms of the drop in blood pressure, in terms of insulin sensitivity, the production of heat shock proteins, et cetera, from a hot bath or a hot tub. You just got to stay in there a longer period of time. Uh, And for guys, it's an issue because your testicles are submerged. And so for, for any guy, we already know that sauna causes a slight dip in fertility and sperm quality. Well, hot tub and hot baths are like that times 10. So, you know, it just kind of depends. But you you can get a lot of the benefits from a hot tub. But let me put it this way. If you're just, like, sitting in the hot tub and it's super comfortable, you're probably not getting many benefits. But for any of you who have, like, drawn a hot bath and been there 10 minutes and thought, oh, gosh, my, like, my heart rate's really high. This is getting a little uncomfortable. I feel like I'm going to pass like, out. <laughs> if that's the style of hot water immersion you're doing, you actually are getting quite a lot of the benefits of, of the heat. I love it. Okay. Random other question. What companies are you invested in or what are you watching right now that you're excited about? Um, a lot of the companies I'm invested in are, uh, you know, they're, they're nutrition supplement companies or like, you know, my, my, I have a company called Keon that's a nutrition supplement company. Um, I do a little bit in like the exercise and fitness device space, uh, particularly things like electrical muscle stimulation, uh, blood flow restriction, some of the larger exercise devices. And then, um, I do uh, do a little bit in the app space, you know, with some of the fitness apps, breathwork apps, et cetera. I would say that as far as what I'm excited about, what I think will be some of the next things coming down the pipeline, um, I think that there are some molecules being developed for energy, you know, things like, uh, you know, dilucine, paraxanthine, HMB, et cetera, like things that will amp up the metabolism or cause a little bit of central nervous system stimulation and uh, cognitive performance without necessarily having the same jittery effect as things like uh, high-dose caffeine or 
you know, or Kratom or some of the popular smart drugs, et cetera. So I think uh, energy drinks that are a little bit more natural and easy on the body. Uh, there's one I've been looking at recently called uh, Update. It's pretty good. Um, so I like that. And then um, I also really like uh, the idea of some of these combination therapies like red light with uh, exercise with oxygen therapy, with PEMF. Like there's a lot of things that can be combined or stacked, but that currently people are doing with a wide variety of equipment and machines. And so I like some of these machines that allow for you to do like grounding and earthing and vasoconstriction and cold and sometimes heat and uh, and oxygen all at the same time. Like an example, that would be like the Vasper exercise machine um, or uh, exercise oxygen therapy, like the Live O2, et cetera. And then I, I think another big one that's going to continue to grow in the industry is, is red light therapy and photobiomodulation, either directed specifically towards the head, you know, companies like V-Light, for example, or full body, uh, like Juve, for example, or like spot treatment for joints like Kenyon. I think that red light therapy is, is as people understand the benefits of it and experience the benefits of it is also going to continue to grow in popularity. Those are a few that off the top of my head. I love it. Um, who's inspiring you these days? Any new people you're connecting with that are really doing cool stuff? Let's see. Um, people doing cool stuff. Uh, or just anyone inspiring you? Any authors you're reading that you're liking? Well, yeah, I'll, 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 Any yeah, friends? I'll share with you a few recents. Um, you know, I've, I've been a fan of and a, a friend of Rick Rubin's for a while. I think his new book, The Creative Act, is absolutely amazing for any creative artist or wannabe creative artist, musician, author, et cetera, out there. So I think uh, his new book is amazing. Uh, I continue to like for spiritual development, a uh, really great guy who's also got an app, a journal, a series of wonderful books that are pretty easy to read. Uh, John Eldridge, he comes from a company called Wild at Heart. A lot of his stuff is is really good and, at least for me, very inspirational. Um, so John Eldridge, Rick Rubin, um, another kind of cool guy I've been getting to know lately who's, who seems to be making a dent in the fitness industry and is becoming a friend of mine is Gary Brecka. Uh, he's doing a lot with uh, Grant Cardone and Dana White and, and similar to some of my thoughts on like light therapy, magnetism, oxygen, you know, Gary's kind of got the same mentality and, and he's got a lot of cool stuff. I think you'll see him more and more, uh, as an up and comer in the, in the fitness and the biohacking industry. Um, and let's see if I could think of one more, you know, I, I, those are all dudes. I would say that as far as, as women, particularly in like fitness and biohacking, um, I think, uh, Gabriel Lyons doing a really good job with her positioning on muscle-centric medicine. I haven't had her on my podcast yet, but I like a lot of the stuff that she's doing. Uh, there's another gal named uh, Louisa Nicole, an Australian uh, physician who's also uh, got a lot of good content. Both of them have podcasts, so those are a couple more to keep your eye on. And then I I probably listen to like three or four like sermons a day, like in the spiritual development sector. And two guys that I've really been enjoying lately are um, Shane Lindemann and Victor Marks. They're just like on fire. Another guy that fall in that category is Lyle Phillips. But a lot of these like on fire for God, revivalist preachers who just like really inspire you spiritually. I've been doing a lot of those guys right now too. So, so those are a few. 
Yeah. I love it. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. This is awesome. Okay, my last question. I ask everyone this, and I'll let you get back to your walk. But what is something most people don't know about you? Um, I am a romantic at heart. Like, I cry during movies almost every morning during our family meditation and prayers. I've got tears coming out my eyes. Um, I, I love like deep inspirational, like flowy music. I mean, we're talking like, you know, like old Celtic ballads and, you know, old like Latin choir songs and channels like soaking worship. Um, if I go out to the movies, I like musicals and, and drama and very like deep romantic stories versus action and adventure. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm very kind of like romantic creative at heart. And I think sometimes people think I'm like some kind of like a hardcore fitness biohacker or whatever, but, um, really like at the end of the day, kind of like we started this interview with about when I was a boy and I just love like fiction and chess and violin. Like, um, I'm really, really happy just like reading a fantasy fiction novel, playing guitar and violin and piano and ukulele and, um, you know, doing meditation, watching romantic weepy movies. Oh my God. I love it. That's, this is the best. Have you read any of Sarah J. Mass's books, like A Court of Thorns and Roses or any of those yet? Crescent City? No. I'll, you got to get on it. E I'm going to order e them for e you. Yeah. I'm going to e send them to your house. S send them with, <laughs> send them with the ketchup. I will. I will, Ben. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, can you let everyone know where they can find you and order your supplements, check out what you're working on, your yeah, new book, uh, et cetera. BenGreenfieldLife.com is kind of like my main hub. So you can find most of my stuff if you just go to bengreenfieldlife.com. I got like a newsletter with all sorts of tips I send out every week. Got a podcast, a um, bunch of books over there. And then my supplement company is called Keon, K-I-O-N. And we got a bunch of fun stuff over there too. So Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. We loved chatting with you. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Morgan. Catch you later. <laughs> 